Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. And welcome back. Our guest today is Travis Steffen. Uh, Travis is based in the beautiful Marina del Rey in the US. I am I am eternally jealous I've been there. What a, what a magic location to live, Travis. You lucky man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, now, Travis is the serial founder of Eight Exits. Uh, after per- personally starting, scaling and selling eight of his companies in the past 14 years, he's now devoted his life to helping others do the same. He's gotten his companies onto the Inc. 500, uh, is a doctoral candidate in marketing and is a growth mentor at Silicon Valley's top accelerator programs. He's a best-selling author and an avid speaker. Welcome, Travis. Thanks for having me. So today we're here to talk about the top five tips for achieving rapid growth. So what do you got for us, Travis? Tip number one. Uh, tip number one, follow a systematic process to achieve what we call the five fits to prime your company for growth. So a lot of people talk about product market fit. That's one, right? And uh, there are you know, five things that you need to bi-directionally fit with one another. So while there are five of these, there are actually 10 combinations. So product market fit would just be one and most companies are missing the other nine. Those five criteria are market, model, channel, product, message. And a lot of companies have something for these. Most companies do, right? The the problem is most of them don't actually fit with one another. Uh, So for example, if you are talking about product market fit, you're probably ignoring things like market model fit or channel message fit or product channel fit, for example. And and there are different fits or lacks thereof within those that can you know, encourage or inhibit you know, your ability to scale. Like, for example, with model channel fit, uh, you have to look at the friction or lack thereof that your business model creates for the customer and how or how it doesn't align with you know, the influence or friction of your marketing channels and acquisition channels. Uh, your model will enable or disable certain channels based on your core economics. Uh, so looking at which ones it enables or disables are critical for you know figuring out how your company should profitably grow. Um, all of those things, when combined, allows you to actually prime your company for high growth. And if you don't have them, oftentimes you end up being incredibly frustrated, not knowing what's wrong, thinking that there's just something wrong with the business, but you don't know what it is, plateaued and scratching and clawing for every dollar. Okay. So, I mean, I'm gonna, can I just sort of zoom in on one of those? Please. You, one of those, like channel and messaging, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so, so explain those in, you know, in, in the average listener terms. So, you know, you're talking of, of, of product distribution channels or marketing channels there. And, and then mm-hmm. the same as the messaging. So, so narrow that down a little bit more. So, Does your word channel refer to which one of those does it refer to? And then how does the message fit go with that? Yeah, acquisition channel. So it could be distribution if it's a viral loop, um, or it could be uh, marketing if it's, you know, for example, paid ads or direct sales or anything in between, right? Content. Um, Message basically has to be an out of pattern experience that ensures that based on what you know about the prospect or the customer, depending on where they're at in the life cycle when they see this messaging, um, and based on your understanding of what makes them think, feel, and behave the way they do, 
ensuring that you can also create an out of pattern noteworthy experience through your message on that channel based on everything else that that channel exposes that prospective customer or existing customer to right if attention is currency at this stage in the game something that's out of pattern something that catalyzes some sort of high arousal emotion could be elation could be curiosity controversy fury anger um hilarity, all of those things that make you feel something deeply, but also create the clarity in the message that ensures you're able to target properly are all parts of that process. So ensuring that you have proper channel message fit is a core part of ensuring that you can acquire customers in a sustainable, repeatable, predictable way. Okay. So, so, I mean, you know, I guess that's a whole, you know, program in and of itself, trying to find the five fits. So, Let's move on to assuming that we've done some of them and and called in the experts like yourself to do that. What is tip number two for achieving rapid growth? Tip number two is actually building what we call a compounding growth model, which then births your growth strategy. So compounding growth model, in essence, is a deterministic system uh, that basically answers the question, how does this product grow? Um, and based on your answer to that question, you know you can basically, if you if you have a properly configured growth model, uh, you should be able to pinpoint exactly the moment in time where your growth model runs out of fuel, and mathematically you hit what's called your carrying capacity. So you can predict when you'll have to add new growth engines, uh, or as Brian Balfour calls them, loops to your business, right? Um, it also allows you to identify your most pressing constraint, your biggest point of leverage that if improved would provide the single largest increase in growth. Um, these are just a couple of the types of things that your growth model enables. But you know, among those other benefits is you can actually quantify exactly why your targets are what they are for the you know, your sales force or your marketing team or various people on your team that are in some way contributing to growth. Um, it also ensures that you have the ability to answer the question, why this? Why now? And it's not just an arbitrary opinion. Uh, so all those things, when combined, it's just a, a higher level of certainty in an environment where certainty is a luxury. So if you, I'm just curious about these loops. Uh, can you give us an example of a first second, maybe even a third loop? Sure. So for example, if you think about a product like Dropbox, um, new user comes in, right? Yeah. Uh, new user uploads a, a file to the cloud, which is part of the core value promise of Dropbox. And the next core value promise is I actually get to share access to that file in the cloud with someone else. Could be a collaborator, could be a friend, mm -hmm. uh, could be a number of different roles, right? In using the product, I get core product value for exposing others to the product as well. It doesn't feel like I'm bringing somebody into an affiliate program. It doesn't feel like I'm trying to market this product and sell anything. It feels like I'm trying to give somebody who wants it core product value in the moment that they want it, right? To do something specific. Um, from there, the next step is actually sending the invite, having the invite accepted, and then having that user sign up for an account as well. Okay. Um, just those types of things ensure that, you know, when you think about loops through that lens, with every single loop that occurs, the magnitude, the growth potential 
of that business increases and increases and increases by more people jumping into that cycle, experiencing more, in this case, collaboration opportunities, but there are 11 other viral loops that we've mapped, um, which I talk a little bit about in my book, Viral Hero. And all, all of those, when combined, can help elicit a compounding growth story for, for businesses that use them. Okay. Now you mentioned your book. Just talk about that for a sec. Give our listeners um, some ideas where they can, what it's about and perhaps where they could find it. Yeah, it's a couple years old, but I honestly, uh, I, I didn't actually promote it a ton on, on day one. It was a blog of mine and I just am a complete growth nerd and was writing about these types of things for free. Publisher approached me. Do you want to publish this book? Sure. Let's do that. Um, so it is a book came out in 2019, I believe it's called viral hero. It's about building products that grow themselves and making your customers, your biggest marketing engine. Uh, so it maps out 12 different viral loops. It breaks down the mathematics of virality, which is, you know, a big, uh, complex hulking mass of, of, uh, nerddom as well. Uh, those are, it's contagion modeling. So it's, it's not for the faint of heart, but I have tried to make it approachable with, bunch of kind of Kung Fu Panda characters throughout the book and just more uh, fun language. Uh, but I do walk you through all of those types of things, what those could mean for your business, how to think about growth through that lens. I also break down a number of different viruses, oddly enough, to ensure that you can get um, a little bit of knowledge from how those organisms spread and how you can learn from those as a founder. Um, and in so doing, you're able to take advantage of various concepts that have some, have seemed uh, have seen been seen to be the core growth engines of some of the largest companies on earth, but for some reason aren't really, and I, I can tell you exactly why, um, aren't being really widely taught to many young founders. Okay, interesting. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, tip number three. Uh, tip number three is use math, science, behavioral psychology, and speed as your four biggest growth assets. So we talked a little bit about the math, which is the compounding growth models. The science is when we actually get into experimentation. So actually using the scientific method as intended. Um, most founders, if they do, and most of them know that they should test, but most of them say, I don't have the bandwidth to test uh, or the desire or the interest to do so. Um, the ones that do 99% of them will do something like, Hey, here's a version of this sales copy and headline. Here's another version of this sales copy and headline. Let's see which one wins. Let's, and then we'll go with that, right? And Hey, we just tested. Problem with that is yes, you, you basically just ran a horse race and you picked the winning horse, <laughs> but you can't do anything else after that with that knowledge. You didn't learn anything. Right. And the missing piece oftentimes is the way that experimentation is occurring. So if you set your problem statement and it is something like what we talked about, where it's like, hey, our landing page isn't converting, you know, visitors into leads with the frequency that we would like. So that's your problem statement. Your hypothesis then isn't maybe a different headline can win. It's why do we think that's happening? Let's answer that question. And we basically go through and break down every single piece of, of why that could be occurring. The test is to determine if the why is actually accurate. And if we can learn that much about our target prospect and what makes them think, feel, and behave the way they do, and we can take the results of that test, whether it's a successful test or a failed test, and we can iterate on our understanding of that core avatar, the more of those tests that we do that have either a success case or a fail case, 
the more we iterate on our understanding of that avatar and the higher our win rate gets to be in, in, the, in the testing. As you can probably tell, you're thinking, you know, okay, if it's a successful test and a failed test, we, we learn in both cases, what's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is an inconclusive test. We haven't moved our metrics forward and we haven't learned a thing. We've just wasted time and money. So ensuring that every test can be big enough that you reduce the likelihood of an inconclusive result as much as possible. And you can run as many of those in a correctly correctly formatted, formatted manner as quickly as possible. That usually leads to you growing a lot faster. Okay. So, so what, listening to all this, is this only, is, is, is this methodology, you know, using all these variables, is it, is it in the big data end of town? I mean, you know, how does the, the average small business or medium enterprise mm-hmm. actually get these systems that are, or, or, or processes that are affordable? Because at the end question. of the day, you know, money in equals money out kind of thing at some point. That's what a lot of uh, the funnel gurus out there would lead you to believe, right? It's money in and money out. And that's the whole like Russell Brunson, one funnel away sort of uh, ethos. And just for clarity's sake, Russell Brunson wants you to believe that he has a funnel company and it does very well because he's been able to instill that belief into many, many people. Uh, Realistically, if you go to the Silicon Valley unicorns that are running the world, right now, none of them adopted a one funnel way mentality. They were able to play with network effects, compounding architecture, virality, and speed, right? All of those things were the case. Um, You can get into big data, sure, if you want to, but usually unless you have a big amount of data, it's completely waste of time and money. Uh, I wouldn't. And and a lot of the, the traditional conversion optimization, quote unquote, experts will say you need a specific amount of traffic to reach a 95 or 99% confidence interval on the A-B tests that you run through the various out-of-the-box platforms. That's true, right? Um, In the same way that if you flip a coin one time, it's 50-50 on whether or not you're going to get heads or tails. Well, if you run the the probability, right, rather than saying we're going to run one test and we want 100%, we want 95 or 99% confidence uh, through that lens, if you instead have what we call nested tests, which means you have one large experiment that has a hypothesis versus a problem statement, and you have, let's say, for example, five smaller tests to test that hypothesis at various moments in time or at various points in the customer experience. And those five smaller tests, they might only need a 75 or 80% confidence interval. But if you see four out of five of those become a success and one's an inconclusive test, probabilistically and mathematically, you're getting the same level of certainty as you would even more uh, than if you ran one test through a tremendous amount of data for a long time. Um, So you don't necessarily have to be already successful in order to, to test at this level. Startups on day one should be able to test hypotheses. And they don't all have to be quantifiable ABs. They can be qualitative experiments. They can be surveys. They can be focus groups. They can be you know, things that you only need a smaller sample for, but you, de- you do need to, to run those tests in a few different ways. At the end of the day, the goal isn't to have perfect probabilistic best practices in place. The goal is to make the best possible decisions you can with the information you have and to gather as much information as is practical on that. Okay, so so we, we've got to this sort of decision-making point. 
So now what do we do in the business? Hit us up tip number four. Tip number four, realign your product and finance teams around your growth model and experimentation cadence. At the end of the day, the big problem that I see with a lot of companies that I work with um, are that they silo out their business units, right? They're, they're, they're functional business units of marketing or sales or activation and implementation, customer service and success, product, finance. They're all individual silos that have their own KPIs within the business and people try to set them up like assembly lines. This is what you're responsible for and this is why. I typically like to break all those silos from day one and say, we've got one KPI that we're, for, that we're focusing on and it's growth. Here is how each of these pieces of the puzzle feed into growth, but ultimately the way that we're all measured are by the growth that we can create, right? Which means we're serving more customers with value more quickly. At the end of the day, if that is the outcome that we're hunting for, um, creating value as quickly as possible for as many as possible, you can align all of those teams under one banner, which is growth, right? And growth happens at various points in time. It's not just customer acquisition, right? A lot of people mistakenly mix marketing and growth and think that they're the same. They're not, right? Marketing but basically is here's how you get more people through the front door. That is part of growth, but it's not all of growth. We're also talking to, about how do you get those users to their first aha moment as quickly as possible? How do you continue to deliver ongoing product value as often as possible? And how do you ensure that there's a fair value exchange to ensure that you're charging the optimal price point for that value that you're providing the customer with. All of those things are growth and all of those things encompass the different aspects of the business, including finance, for example, which is oftentimes not customer facing, but they do ensure that um, growth capital can be allocated to the correct initiatives in the correct amounts at the correct times based on what that growth model says. Okay, interesting. Um... All right, let's round it off now and move into tip number five. Tip number five is building a culture of high growth within the organization, ensuring that the organization itself can build a proactive culture with necessary mission, vision, values, et cetera, uh, in a way that aligns with a culture that would elicit high growth, for example. Uh, so if if part of the, the intention of the company was to grow and a prerequisite for growth was creating as much value for customers as quickly as possible, we can look no further than Amazon who has customer obsession as a core value, for example, right? Um, if part of that is ensuring that those customers never leave and always come back for more and want to engage, we can look no further than Zappos and their ethos that was aligned deeply around customer service. Um, in my last company, we did both. We had our product team and all of our teams had deep customer obsession. We wanted to make sure that we had the most engagement with the customer of all the competitors in our industry. Right? We wanted to make sure that we were on the line. We were not optimizing for as little time in support interactions as we possibly could. We wanted as much time like interacting with the customer, solving their problems with them as a trusted partner, ensuring they're having a great experience, exploring with them, and ensuring that they feel that we're a core part of their operational infrastructure. More support in that in that side of things is oftentimes better. Um, so, like having that team aligned around growth is is critical, and the same goes for all of them. So, ensuring that everyone's marching to the beat of the same drum, that drum is beating to the rhythm of growth. 
um, that usually leads to much, much better outcomes. I love it. Um, one of my jobs on this podcast is to keep us to time and we are almost out of time. So should our listeners want to get in touch with you and tap into the wealth of knowledge that you have, what's the best way for them to do that? If you're a subscription-based business and you're an existing company that already has revenue, um, let's say you're at 50000 a month or more, um, you can hit us up at mygrowthteam.com, which inevitably will become growthteam.ai. Part of my doctoral thesis is we're actually building a Silicon Valley caliber VP of growth using artificial intelligence. Ooh, uh, interesting. We're not 100% there yet, so we still use that behind the scenes and kind of function as an agency in the meantime. Um, we do work with a handful of clients. We want to make sure that our eye is squarely on the ball of building the technology. Um, but we do work with, with client companies quite often. Uh, we have, you know, a couple dozen of them and, uh, we're able to create some pretty compelling growth stories for them. So, um, that's pretty exciting. You can reach me that way. Otherwise I do create content on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. Usually you can just find me by my name, Travis Stefan, two F's, two E's. Um, and, uh, I'm, trying to be more and more responsive there. Thank you, Travis. I, I, I was smiling, and I know we don't record the video, but when, when you said, I'm trying to be more responsive, I think I think in this crazy digital world in which we live, I think we all struggle to be more responsive to, to digital messaging and things like that. So thank very you very true. much, Travis Stephan from uh, the U.S. for joining us this morning. Well, it's morning my time. Uh, this is Rail Bricker from Perth, Western Australia, and Lindsay Adams, my co-host from Brisbane, Australia, signing off for another edition of the Top 5 Podcast.